Thank you so much. And can we again thank Brittany because it does take boldness. It does take bravery. And I'm, I'm going to start today's message by just reading Psalm 6 for you. And then I'm not really going to like pull apart Psalm 6. Psalm 6 is just going to set the stage for what we're going to talk about uh, the rest of today and throughout the month of May. Whenever the pandemic started, I started personally uh, diving into the Psalms a bit more intentionally. Uh, my admission, which I made before, was I like the narrative stories. I like the theology uh, in the epistles. I, of course, love the gospels and the life of Jesus. But ha frankly, a lot of times I read the Psalms like, pray, 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 whatever, whatever. I mean, it, but I was like, I need to dig into the Psalms a bit more. And what I discovered is, of course, Psalm 23 is awesome. Uh, the Lord is our shepherd. I mean, that's great. Psalm 51 is wonderful. Ah, this is how I can confess my sin. Uh, Psalm 139, love it. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Oh, I can take joy in that. Psalm uh, 121, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. I mean, they're right there. I also discovered psalms like Psalm 6, which have helped me give voice and prayer to many of the other things that we feel and experience in life. Not just joy, not just celebration, but hardship, sorrow, suffering, anxiety, difficulty. So hear these words, these words of prayer, these words given to us by God to help us lift up faith, lift up our voices whenever we might not find it so easy to do so. Psalm 6, a Psalm of David. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. <laughs> hear, hear this. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. From his bones to his soul. He feels like he's wasting away. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I love that. God, I want to praise you with my life. I don't want to die, but I feel like I'm going to die. I want life to glorify and honor and praise you. Oh, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. I'm guessing more than one of us can relate. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly they will be put to shame. This is the word of our Lord. I'm going to say a couple things now. The first group of things I'm going to say will make perfect sense to you. The second group of things I say hopefully will sound utterly ridiculous. So please do not quote me out of context for what I'm about to say. And then I'm going to say some things that maybe we have heard creep into our talk or our thoughts in faith circles. Here's what we're very comfortable saying. Jane had knee surgery this past week. We should pray for her. We should lift her up. We should help her. Maybe we should even go clean her house for her. How would you like that, Jane? That'd be awesome. She's all on board. We'd say that in the church. We'd even say something like this. Oh, I heard so-and-so has been diagnosed with a really high blood pressure. So he's actually on a new medication to try and bring that down. Well, praise God for that medication. Praise God for modern help. But we should still pray for him. 
we should still help them. Sounds perfectly normal, right? Sounds like faith. Sounds like Christianity. Sounds like Jesus. Here's hopefully things that we would never hear in Christian circles. Oh, I heard that so-and-so slipped in the shower and she broke her leg and now she needs surgery. She must have a secret sin going on in her life. Why would that befall a servant of the Lord? Oh, or how about, I heard that he's developed type two diabetes. Oh, well, he's just not right with the Lord then, is he? Maybe he's not worshiping God with a whole heart, whole mind, whole strength, whole devotion towards our Lord. I hope, <laughs> I hope that sounds utterly ridiculous to all of us. Yet here are some things that I hope sound ridiculous, and yet I think they can kind of come creeping into some of the thought of faith. <gasps> Did you hear that they had a baby? But then I heard that she's suffering from something called postpartum depression. Huh. How can that be? A baby is such a gift from the Lord. It's such a joy. I would be so happy if I had a baby. Why would she be depressed? Or maybe we might catch ourselves even saying uh, uh, something like, oh, I heard that she has bipolar disorder. Well, that must just be a spiritual battle. We should just pray for her just to be set free by Jesus. Amen? Or maybe how about this? I heard that he's taking a medication for depression. He's medicating depression? Well, didn't we just sing that the joy of the Lord comes in the morning? Uh, well, he just needs to pray more. He just needs to worship more. He just needs to get right with Jesus. And that's gonna fix that depression, right? Or we might hear ourselves sometimes saying, I heard that their child has been cutting and has suicidal thoughts. Well, that's just sinful to have suicidal thought because our God is the God of life. Nobody should ever take their own life. That's, that's just sin. I hope you haven't heard things like that, but I have a suspicion that those thoughts, those ideas, that spiritualizing mental illness, mental wellness, mental battles can begin to creep into the life of faith. For some reason, we do seem to allow a dualism to come into our thought process and our worldview as Christians. Dualism, big fancy word there. You're going to learn a couple of fancy words here today to impress your family and friends or probably annoy them. But we have a way of sort of separating things which God has brought together. And God has brought together holistically us as body, soul, mind, and emotion. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We have this clear and compelling vision of uh, human anthropology, the human being, the human creation as a unit of, of, of one. And yet we start to pull things out. So we might catch ourselves saying things like this. Uh, separating the physical from the mental. Well, we should certainly pray for somebody's physical ailments, but do we pray for their mental wellness as well? We would embrace somebody even seeking treatment for a physical ailment, but we might not understand or embrace their seeking treatment for a mental ailment. I'm gonna tell a story and I tell this with my daughter's permission, just so you know. Um, Kara struggled in school for, 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 for several years, and we talked with her. She wasn't a bad student, but she just had some struggles. And uh, with much prayer and with much consultation, uh, talking with the doctors, talking with her, talking with other people who've experienced help in this area, uh, she was diagnosed with ADHD, and the doctor said maybe a low dose of a drug called Adderall might help her. 
And so she tried Adderall and praise be to God, I think it was actually the lowest dose that they actually prescribed somebody. She started taking Adderall and she reported, she self-reported, this really seems to be helping. I can focus more at school. I can focus more on my work. I can just focus more in life. This has been just the trick. This has been fantastic. Praise God, hallelujah, amen, right? Yeah, I'm so I'm, I, that's my daughter we're talking about. I'm hoping for an amen here. But she was surrounded by, and I believe this wholeheartedly, I truly do, good-meaning, well-intentioned Christian people. I don't doubt that for a second. But that dualistic thought crept into that circle, and they challenged her, Karis, maybe this is something you should just pray more about. Interesting, yeah. I don't think they meant anything bad by it. I really don't. Thank goodness she called us, we talked to it, and I gave her an example, probably like I just gave you. I think at the time I said, I said, Karis, if somebody had diabetes, would you tell them to stop taking insulin and just pray about it? No, you'd praise God for the insulin and you'd pray for miraculous healing. You'd just pray for help throughout that struggle. And yet somehow it seemed hyper, overly, more wonderfully spiritual if we just pray for this mental illness and not seek treatment or help for it. Stop. <laughs> Stop. When you hear that, when you see that, when you experience it, just be bold and brave enough like Brittany to just call it out and say, that's not how our God works. That's not how faith works. We don't have to live in this dichotomy of physical and mental, of spiritual and the world that God has created. We can see a more integrated, hallelujah. I always wanted to be Pentecostal. Heather's always with me on that one, but hallelujah, amen. Like just start bringing them together. Let me make two qualifications before I get deeper into the sermon. Um, this is a sermon. This is not counseling. This is not treatment. This is not going to see a specialist or a doctor. So please don't substitute this for saying, I need to go talk to somebody and get more help for something I'm going through. So it's just a sermon. This is like, this is like level one deep, you know, and you might need to go two, three, four levels down to get help or to get treatment or to get care for what you're going through. The second thing is, because I just talked about not over-spiritualizing um, things of mental illness and wealth, I do want to make the case for sometimes it is spiritual. So let me just give another silly or outrageous example, and then we're going to get on with it because I hate making qualifications, but this topic requires it. So if, for example, you do come to me and you say, George, something's going on in my life, all of a sudden I'm experiencing a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. Uh, I'm easily triggered and set off at work. Uh, I don't feel a closeness to the Lord. My prayer life is suffering. I'm going to say, wow. And the first thing I'll say is like, well, has anything like changed dramatically in your life? And if you say something, God, nothing I can think of except that, oh yeah, you know, the other weekend I, I told my spouse I was going on a business trip but I really didn't. I just went away for the weekend with a coworker and woohoo, I mean, it was, oh yeah, you know, you know, I'm gonna say like, um, okay, maybe this is spiritual. Maybe this is a giant red flag warning and God bringing you condemnation because you're doing something clearly that does not glorify God or honor your marriage or bless your spouse. I mean, so sometimes it is spiritual. Sometimes it is. So with that said, um, unless there's an egregious sin and no disobedience in your life that we might pastorally confront, let's now pull apart 
What does the Bible say about the human condition, the human creation? And then I wanna give kind of three helps, three foundations that will set the stage for the rest of the month as we do dive deeper into mental wellness and mental illness in the context of faith. And these will be, I believe, what I'm gonna present to you, just biblically sound foundations for mental health and wellness and faith. So the first thing to understand is the way that God has created us and how God created us. And we talk about this very often, of course, in the church, that God created us for the garden. And I gave a sermon at Easter about kind of the garden motif of the scriptures. We are made for a garden, this, this idea of a beautiful dwelling, a beautiful existence. And here's the important part where shalom reigned and ruled. Shalom, the peace, the justice, the righteousness, the way things ought to be of God's creation, a right relationship with the creator, with our God, a right relationship with our neighbors, a right relationship with the creation itself. And what can sometimes maybe get missed in that, because a lot of people can be like, yeah, I get all that, a right relationship with ourselves. Because if we're honest, we don't always have a right relationship with ourselves, do we? I've always thought it very interesting. I've never lived with anybody longer than myself, and I probably don't know anybody better than myself. And yet I sometimes find myself the hardest creature to understand <laughs> and to tame. We have a brokenness even within ourselves. So it makes sense that this will tap into our mental health and wellness and emotion. Praise be to God. God didn't say, well, too bad for them, too bad for my image bearers. I guess they just have to live in this broken world forever. No, God started this beautiful plan of redemption. And we talk about that often here. He saved the creation from corruption through the cleansing waters of the flood in Noah's time. He called a man named Abram and his wife, Sarah, and he began to create a new nation, a new people is gonna do a new work through them. God worked through Moses to bring them out of slavery and captivity and into a promised land. And there is a physical reality to that, but there is also a deeper spiritual meaning of coming out of captivity and into the promises of God. It worked through David and the kingdom and then the promised coming king. And that came to fruition in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and humbled himself and lived among us and ministered to us and demonstrated the power of the kingdom at work through his life and in our world. And thanks be to God, he made the final fulfilling sacrifice of his own life to atone for our sins. He took the death that we deserved to do away with it once and for all because on Easter morning, resurrection happened. Hallelujah and amen. We should have it all figured out and everything should be all hunky-dory, cupcakes and sprinkles from now on. Not quite, not quite there yet. We have resurrection. We have this new creation. We have, as Paul said when we did our Ephesians study back in the fall, we have every spiritual blessing. We have the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can pray for and grow the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. We can have more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We can have spiritual gifts being exercised in and through our lives and through the work of the church. We have every spiritual blessing. Hallelujah and amen. You still with me? Do we have every physical blessing yet though? 
No, we don't yet have the fulfillment of the plan of redemption working its way out in the physical and created order. We taste it, we touch it, we experience it, we experience it spiritually, but we're still awaiting the return of Christ or the resurrection of our bodies and the consummation of the kingdom of God. And so we are still living into and living through this, uh, a a bit of this, this brokenness in our physical world. I was talking with somebody about this just this past week, and I, I actually literally forgot this. They were talking about how their son was born, we called it being pigeon-toed, and they were kind of working through that. I was born severely pigeon-toed. My feet were turned inward. I still have in my mom's little like collection box these little shoes and this brace. It looks like some torture device, but it turned my feet outward to correct my legs. And I had to wear corrective shoes all through elementary school. I was the weird kid walking around in shorts and a t-shirt and dress shoes. I remember when I finally got sneakers and I was so happy. I could be like the other kids with a pair of runners. There's something wrong physically. And my parents did not consider it unspiritual to seek physical healing for me. Later in life, I was actually getting the physical for sports and they found out that I have a heart murmur. I have a bicuspid aortic valve. Every time I lose a bike race right now, then I go to the guy, I'm like, congratulations, you just beat a guy with a heart condition. I'm like, oh, geez. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty great thing to pull on people, but don't worry about it, I'm fine. I thought I was gonna become the next Arnold Schwarzenegger when I was in college. Got myself a hernia. <laughs> Did I pray about it? Oh, Lord, fix my hernia. I did. And then I said, maybe I should see a doctor. And I did. And I got a surgery. And I got better. And there's nothing unspiritual about it. The church prayed for me about it. Now insert all of these things that we go through and live through life with mental wellness and mental health and mental issues. We can bring these things before God. We can seek every intervention that we can on the human level, and we can still invite the power of the Spirit to work through and make miracles happen. Yeah, because this is the stage and the age. This is what we're living through now. Our world is broken. That brokenness will affect our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our souls. So we speak our soul's restoration through salvation, and we seek our mental, physical, and emotional health in pursuing and following Jesus Christ. This is the great command. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I love it that it just starts off with heart, emotions, mind. I think about one of my life verses, uh, you know, therefore do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. This is something I go back to almost daily. God, renew and make my mind right with you. And I could insert that on that and make my emotions, make my heart right with you. So let's do this. Let's, do the, let's jump into the three biblical helps, being mindful of the time here. And I want this to just lay the foundation that the Bible is, and God is very concerned about not just our spiritual health, and we don't just pray for physical miracles in our lives, but we embrace mental health and well-being. So the first thing is this, to simply say, yes, the Bible addresses mental illness and mental, uh, mental wellness. The Bible does address mental health and wellness. Does the Bible teach us about the Trinity? I believe yes, but not 
as if I can open up and find the chapter and verse in the section and, you know, look through my, you know, the Bible doesn't work that way. Where's the section on the Trinity? It's not there. So let me tell you about the Trinity. As we read about the revelation, the narrative of the life of Jesus Christ, and then the working out of the life of Jesus Christ in the church, we talk, we hear these, these evidences of God the Father and Jesus' Son and Jesus being one with the Father. And if you've seen Jesus and know Jesus, you know the Father. And Jesus talks about he and the Father sending the Spirit. It's better that I go away from you physically so that spiritually I can send our Spirit to live and dwell amongst you. And at no point will you find the word the Trinity in the Bible, and yet I believe it is wholly biblical to take all that revelation and to say, here's a word that just helps me pull it all together so I don't have to read like 20 verses. <laughs> I can just say, God has revealed himself mysteriously as a triunity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we look at Jesus's baptism, we see Jesus go into the water. We hear the voice of the Father. This is my son whom I love. We see the evidence of the Spirit coming on Jesus. We see the fingerprints, the fingerprints of the Trinity all over the scriptures. We see the fingerprints of God's concern for our mental health and well-being all over the scriptures. Last week, Ruth talked to us about uh, the prophet Elijah. And Elijah had this incredible spiritual mountaintop experience. They win over the prophets of Baal. God is doing his thing, right? And what so happen, often happens after a mountaintop experience? For some reason, and I've experienced it in my own life, man, one day, like, I'm on top of the world. And it's like, the next day, the bottom falls out. And Ruth beautifully talked through how that happened to Elijah. And what did God do? Elijah, I love you. You're still my man, still gonna use you. You just need a snack and a nap. <laughs> and then you need another snack and a nap. Sometimes you need a snack and a nap. Sometimes the best thing you can do is take a nap and eat some good food and get some rest and everything's gonna feel and seem a bit better and a bit different. Now compare that to the prophet Jonah. Jonah has a mountaintop experience. He preaches revival to the city of Nineveh and thousands and thousands come to repent and they come to the Lord. I mean, this is like my dream as a pastor. I mean, oh my God, this is like what I've been praying for my whole life. Like, oh my goodness, let me have some kind of revival like that in the city of Denver. Oh, like, like that's like my dream come true. And Jonah, is he really excited about his big revival? No, he too like, Elijah and others is like, I want to die now. <laughs> I mean, seriously, read the story. Oh, <laughs> I can't believe they all repented. I didn't like them. And does God give him a snack and a nap? No, he gives him a slap <laughs> and a wake-up call. Both are areas of people feeling depressed and so low, wanting their own demise. I mean, actually literally saying like, God, just take my life. I don't even want to go on. And for the one, he has compassion and mercy. And he's like, take a, take a nap. Here's a snack. Things are going to be good. And the other, he's like, no, you need help. <laughs> you need to repent. <laughs> you, you need to see my work through your life. Then it just keeps going through the psalm that I just read. I feel wasting away from my bones to my soul. I'm wetting my bed at night, not because I'm wetting my bed like a baby, but now with my tears, my tears and my weeping are soaking my bed at night. 
In fact, it lasts into the day. I'm soaking my couch with my tears. The psalmist is not afraid to bring before God his mental and emotional distress. And it keeps running throughout the story of the scriptures. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, we talked about Peter. Peter, after his defeat, after his denial of Jesus, he is just broken. I mean, he's just a broken, broken man. And he's experienced Jesus and his resurrection. Two times he's encountered the risen, reigning, ruling, and returning Jesus Christ twice. But he is so broken, so emotionally, mentally distraught still that he wakes up one day and actually he's about, it's kind of nighttime. And he's like, I'm going fishing. And his friends don't chastise him. His friends don't criticize him. His friends don't preach to him. His friends say, we'll go with you. We'll sit in the boat with you. No indication of any sermon, preach, anything like that. Just we will sit with you in the darkness, literally in the darkness, until light and Jesus came in the morning. Beautiful, beautiful thing, beautiful thing. Uh, we read, we read uh, Paul, I love Paul, I love Paul. At the end of Ephesians, I'm, not, I'm sorry, Philippians, I love Philippians so much. I love that this is one of his prison letters. He is literally sitting in a prison. If there's anybody who should be in mental and emotional distress, it is the apostle Paul in this time. And what does he say at the end of Ephesians? This is how I'm gonna choose to live my life. Whatever is true, Jesus Christ is risen. Whatever is noble, he loves me. Whatever is praiseworthy, Jesus Christ is coming again. Whatever is no, he says, these are the things that I choose to direct my thoughts toward because this brings me the emotional and the mental peace that passes all understanding through Jesus Christ. In the ministry of Jesus, we see this interaction with Jesus and Martha and what he just calls out Martha. Martha, you are worried and anxious about so many things. And then he proceeds to minister to her and invite her, like her sister Mary, to just sit at his feet and experience his peace that again passes all understanding. So over and over and over again, do know that while the Bible doesn't have a section, chapter, verse on how to address mental illness from, and wellness from a faith perspective, read the scriptures and look for those fingerprints of God's love extending not just to our spiritual salvation, but to our physical and mental well-being. So yes, you can now say the Bible addresses mental wellness and mental health. The second thing then to point out is to say, I believe, and now I'm gonna speak from my subjective personal experience, I believe that the life of faith is the greatest safeguard any of us has for mental and emotional well-being. I believe that the life of the fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ is the greatest safeguard that we have for mental and emotional well-being. Here's my example to illustrate that. Like the Trinity example helps us to understand mental illness and wealth is in the scriptures. Um, I'll use a different example here though. I put on a seatbelt every time I get into a car. Does that seatbelt mean I will never get into a car wreck? No, it means when the crash happens, the safety protocols are in place already. Following Christ just seems to me it puts in place some things that don't prevent mental and emotional hardship in life, but they help us when they come. Think about the life of following Jesus Christ. How are we called to start our week? Right here, 
We are called to start our week right here, right now with Sabbath rest and with worship. If for no other reason, everybody should be a Christian because the Christian gets to say, I get a day off. I am commanded to take a day off and have a nap and to have a snack and to put my feet up and to worship God. I, I, I mean, like to me, and maybe this just makes me weird, but to me, I'm like, this is worth it. If for nothing else, this is worth it. Gathering together, worshiping him, praising his name, taking a day off. Hallelujah and amen. It just sets you up to have the well-nourished, well-rested life. How does the life of faith then continue? How do we start our day? Well, many of us start our day again with the Lord, meditating on his word, spending time in prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come into my life, into my family, into my place of work into my community to stay, your kingdom, your will be done. I want to do your will in all areas of life. Give me today my daily bread. Oh, I pray you're going to just provide for me all. Just the life of prayer, the life of meditate. Meditation is such a thing now in the world, and we've always had it. We've had it from the dawn of revelation. We've been invited to meditate on the statutes, the premises, the law, the gifts of God, the blessings of God. We meditate on his word and it just brings <clears throat> such peace and such consolation and such understanding to our lives. Then we invite you to get into a group. I love how Ruth would just like get in a group or start a group and then she just like moved on. I was like, I love that. I was like the best part, one of the best parts of the sermon last week. Get into a group or start a group. No excuses. You need a group. Jesus had a group. They were named. They were numbered. You need to get in a group. You need to get named. You need to get numbered. I've turned into a robot. I don't know why. You need to just get into, you need to just get into a group. Jesus had a group. Jesus had people he did life with. We need to do life with brothers and sisters. And you know what happens when you do life with other people? You talk about what's going on in your life. You share the joys, but you share the hardships and you pray for one another. And from that, you help and you serve and you love one another. If again, for no other reason, be a Christian so you have a group, so you have people in your life that love you and care for you and support you and walk with you, please. We know that the pandemic has brought isolation and estrangement and loneliness it may be levels, you know, we haven't seen in recent modern history. Reclaim community and getting into groups and walking with life through people. I could say, say so much more uh, about that. What's another thing that we ask you to do? Service. We ask you to serve on a volunteer team here or to help with one of our outreach ministries. You know what happens when you serve other people? You just stop navel-gazing and looking at your life. And you start blessing other people. And you know what? Man, it feels good. It feels good to help other people. No shame in that. It feels good to serve and use your gifts and your time and your talent and your energies and your resources. It feels good to help other people. And praise be to God, it does, because God wants us to serve other people. So how great that he connects feeling good with doing good. <laughs> serve other people and it just feels good. I'm going to say one other thing before I move on to the next section. Because I bet this is something that few of you have ever thought of. Jesus did this 
every day of his life, if we read through the narrative of the gospels and the story of his life, he did this almost, I think he did this every day, every story we have of the life of Jesus. And yet we don't highlight this as something that, you know, this is something that Jesus did. Like we walk around with bracelets, like what would Jesus do? Jesus did this. He did this all the time and we never talk about it. And yet it brings incredible mental health and peace and well-being into our lives. You know what he did all the time that we just ignore? He walked. <laughs> That's the big reveal there. I tried to set you up for it. He walked. He moved his body. He got some sunshine. He got some fresh air. He exercised. He walked. If you want to be like Jesus, you be go for a walk. <laughs> you can invite other people. Follow me as I follow Jesus. What are we doing? We're going to go for a walk and we're going to talk and we're going to enjoy the gifts of God's creation. I'm just telling you people, it is not unspiritual. It's not unchristian to go and get some exercise. Go on a walk, go on a bike ride, go join a rugby team. If you're like Chris and you're crazy and you want your body beaten up, go do something to whatever abilities you have and however you can. But, but, but there is, we know this. I mean, we, we, we just know the connection between moving our bodies, eating well, getting rest, having exercise, and the mental wellness that that can bring. Again, will that prevent every mental crisis or hardship or difficulty in your life? No, but you will have that foundation in place already. And so, yeah, the life of faith just lends itself to having mental and emotional wellness. So we know it's in the Bible. We know the Bible addresses the whole being. We know that the life of faith is a safeguard, is in a sense of protection. It kind of lends itself to emotional and mental well-being. And the third thing I wanna say is, it is very biblical to then ask for help. It is absolutely biblical and Christian. It does not make you weak. It does not make you a failure. It does not make you less than. It makes you bold. It makes you brave. It makes you beautiful when you say, I need help. Can we just say that? I need help. Oh, you weak people. Oh, you need help. Oh, I'm ashamed to call you my. No, what is, I love, I love the teaching of Jesus when he's hanging out with people and the uber religious people are like criticizing him. And he just says, the healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. I came for the people who are willing to say, help me. I need a doctor. That's a beautiful prayer. I'm sick. Jesus, help. <laughs> I'm sick. Jesus, help. I'm sick. Jesus, help. You're following the Bible. You're honoring Jesus. You're doing what faith calls us to do when you ask for help. So I'm telling you right now, if you're struggling, ask for help. Talk to me, talk to somebody else here. We have a relationship with pastoral uh, counseling of Denver. We have counselors who meet in the rooms back there with people throughout the week. We have other resources we can connect you to. If you need help, ask for the help because it's the bold, brave, beautiful, godly thing to do 
to get help because then you can bring the most glory to God when you are in a good place spiritually, physically, and mentally and emotionally. God can glorify himself most through somebody who is most holy, committed, and devoted to him. The pandemic has been tough. We, we, we all know that. When we were about six months, so I told some physical things where I sought help. Now I'm going to tell you when I got some help in some other areas of life, and then, and then we'll wrap it up. Actually, Kellen, you can get ready to kind of take us out, and I'll, I'll do the preach while you vamp and make it cool and everybody gets into it. Um, it's easy to talk about whenever we have physical ailments. I got a hernia. I got a surgery. Makes perfect sense. A couple months into the pandemic, I, uh, well, the whole story is this. I was going to do the Breck Epic in 2020, so I was all trained and I was all excited. It's a big bike race, and they canceled it, and I was really upset. I was like, because I was already struggling with some things like church and how's church going to work? Is the church going to survive? There's some family things. There's relational things, and I was like, I was going to get like six days of riding my bike in the mountains. It was going to be a beautiful thing, and I was all excited for it, and then they canceled it, and I went to our board, and I said, I think I want to go to Quiet Waters for a week, and they said, we think that's a great idea, and they blessed me. And instead of going to ride my bike for a week, I got to go to a beautiful place and sit for six days and talk with a counselor and a life coach. And I prayed and I slept and I ate really well and I went for long walks and I was just quiet and dwelt in the refreshing waters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I got help and it felt good. And I came out of it a better person and a better husband and a better father and I hope a better pastor. Because I just took some time to get some help. And then apparently the church thinks I need more help because I'm about to go on a sabbatical this summer. <laughs> so apparently they look at me and they're like, you're not done yet, George. And they didn't say, and we're ashamed of you that you're tired, we're ashamed of you, that you aren't all that you can be. We are horrified about you because you don't have infinite energy and abilities, George. They came to me and they said, it's been a hard go. I'm gonna get emotional. He said, why don't you take a sabbatical? And I was like, no, you're trying to get rid of me. No, <laughs> no they said, take a rest. Go travel, go see your family, go see your friends, go read some books, go ride your bike. You know you're always talking about your bike. Go get us, and I'm gonna have the blessing of telling you a little bit more about the sabbatical in this coming week. But oh my goodness, the soul help that I'm about to get, the mental and emotional help that I'm about to get by taking a break, I don't know who else is as blessed and as lucky as I am, except Wendy. She's a me to be. Get help. I'm just going to pray because we got the rest of the month to talk about all this stuff. I'm going to talk about anxiety next week because it's graduation Sunday and a lot of graduates aren't just excited about the future. They're anxious about the future. Imagine that. And then I'm going to talk about anger because... I'm just experiencing and seeing a lot of anger in our world. And then I'm gonna talk about Sabbath rest and invite you all this summer to experience your own deeper Sabbath rest over the summer months. Let me pray and then we'll wrap it up. Look at me right on time for a change. Heavenly